Before we start this episode, we want to give you all a content warning that this episode does explore themes of sexual violence. Welcome to Sweet Bitter, where we explore the untold history of women and queer pirates. We're your hosts, Ellie Brigida and Lisa Charlotte. This episode, we continue our conversation on queer pirates. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode because our resident pirate expert, Elise, wrote us a sea shanty for this one. And she's also here now to play fact or fiction with us. Elise, what have you got for us? Hey, y'all. I'm so excited and nervous again, but let's do this. We're ready. We're ready. (laughs) Okay. um, So today's pirate factor fiction is I'm going to list four pirates for you, and you have to tell me whether they were real pirates or not. Okay. Okay. Captain Kidd, Bluebeard, Long John Silver, and Blackbeard. Okay. I, I feel like I know that Blackbeard is real. Yes, I can agree with you on that. I know that Blackbeard is also real. True. 100% right. He was a real pirate. I don't think Bluebeard is real. Yeah, I'm going to say no to Bluebeard and Long John Silver and yes to Captain Kidd. I don't know. I'm so nervous. Okay, so yes, Captain Kidd. Yes, Blackbeard. No Long John Silver. No Bluebeard. That's my final answer. I'm going to agree with Ellie. Let's see what happens. You guys are a thousand percent right. Woo! Oh, what do we win? Yes. You you win my endearing esteem. And oh, is there a red? Is there a, is there a red beard? Is there, there a green beard? Be. Like, yeah, what color beards? No. Exist. So I'll tell you about each of these. Okay. So Blackbeard was a real pirate. He was absolutely terrifying. His ship was called the Queen Anne's Revenge. He would light firecrackers and put them in his beard and his hair to freak people out. And he really like used fear and his intimidation as a as a tactic, as many pirates did. Bluebeard is also scary, but not real. He comes from a French folktale um, about a wealthy man who keeps marrying women and then murdering them. So it's not that that doesn't happen. Um, it's just that this specific guy, Bluebeard, in the stories is interesting. Captain Kidd, right wild. Captain Kidd, very real. He was a Scottish pirate in the Golden Age. And then um, Long John Silver, not real. He kind of is one of the biggest sources of popular conceptions of pirates. But he was in Treasure Island, the um, Robert Louis Stevens, uh, Stevenson novel. The Muppets movie, you mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure. I'm like, isn't Long John Silver is also like a restaurant? Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's like a seafood chain, right? Isn't it? <laughs> yes. And brilliant. Like, I'm brilliant. pretty sure I can eat there. Yeah. I'm that like, was Tim Curry played Long John Silver in The Muppets. He said it was the favorite role he ever played because he loves The Muppets. Anyway, listen to our bonus Patreon episode on Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> Elise, thank you for I'm I'm so excited we got that correct. So thank you for that. I, my heart was beating. You nailed it. Um, I think this is the first uh, time yes. we've been 100%, 1,000% actually is what you said. Right. So, <laughs> yes. What a moment yes. in sweet bit of history. We have to commemorate it. Y'all are crushing it. So those are four, you know, really cool pirates, some fact, some fiction. But I wanted to have Jamie Goodall open this episode by talking about a pirate who sort of has like a really interesting backstory, um, true life pirate, 
um, Blackbeard got involved just for a little a little fun snippet. And so she's a historian from the U.S. Army Center of Military History, and her views are her own and not that of the U.S. government. So Steve Bonnet was a gentleman planter from Barbados, and he just got really bored with his life. He got tired of his wife and kids, and business was boring him, so he just decided to sell his business, ditch his wife and kids, buy a ship, hire a pirate crew, which is the worst way to get a pirate crew is to hire them, and decided to go pirating. Uh, So he had sort of a midlife crisis during that time period, and he was the worst pirate. (laughs) He just, he had no sailing experience. He had no experience with commerce rating, and so he relied very heavily on his crew to do the heavy lifting. The problem being, they would only continue to operate so long as he paid them, because rather than the traditional pirate, which is a prey-for-pay kind of model where you only get paid if you attack a ship, this, they were like, well, you already paid us once. You have to keep paying us. Uh, That's the deal. At one point, Blackbeard sort of takes him under his wing and tries to, to help him out, but even Blackbeard realizes he's a hopeless case and eventually locks him in his cabin and is like, you stay there. Let us do the, the hard work. And uh, eventually Blackbeard ditches him because he's like, this is, just, this is just nonsense. He's eventually captured and he thinks that his status as a gentleman will grant him reprieve from execution, but it does not. Uh, so he, he ends up, I, I think he ends up being hanged for his crimes. So I think we've spoken about this before, right? Like this is the, I guess old school version of all of these millionaires who are going to space. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't the ocean really the space of the planet? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, there's like, we probably know less about the ocean than we know about space. That might be like an over-exaggeration, but there's a lot we do not know about the ocean. It is freaking huge. And there's a lot of shit under there. We have no clue. Yeah. And I mean, Jamie just has all these like stories about pirates in her head and all these. It's stranger than fiction and more exciting than fiction, but it it all really, really happened. And so um, she also told us a really, really great story about Blackbeard. Um, So real quick, here's Jamie's uh, favorite pirate story. My favorite pirate story is actually about Blackbeard. There's a period where Blackbeard's sailors, like his crew, are very sick. A lot of them are suffering from various STDs and other ailments, and he's in desperate need of medications to treat these illnesses. And so he's off the coast of South Carolina when he sees a ship that's full of the uh, Charleston's most prolific and uh, important members of society, if you will. And he decides he's going to kidnap them and ransom them. And he tells the South Carolina governor um, either you send me the, a chest of medicine with all the items that I need, or I'm going to kill these people. And of course, Blackbeard has a reputation, even though we have no evidence that he actually ever killed anyone, which is interesting. Uh, the governor is like terrified. He's like, oh, absolutely. So he sends the chest of medicine and true to his word, Blackbeard lets them go, but he's got a reputation to maintain. And so he sends these prominent men back to shore basically naked and they have to row themselves naked back to shore and I just I think that's one of the funniest stories of pirates that's out there I think in a previous episode we talked about uh pirates basically being frat boys on the sea <laughs> we did. right and I feel, and 
I feel like this is so much so that. Like, you know, if you, like, lose in beer pong and have to do a naked lap, like, this is, like, <laughs> literally it. They're like, oh, you lost, so get naked. Sorry. <laughs> like, I'm, I just, that visual is killing me. But we did, didn't we talk in a previous episode about there being a famous story about the Roman who had to go back in a toga? I feel like this yeah, is the toga. same thing. Yes. There's such I, Pirates have a great sense of humor. <laughs> like, they're, you know, they're just pranking people. Like, they don't want to, I'm like, they do hurt people. But I feel like there is this thing where, like, they don't necessarily want to fight people. Like, they will if they have to. But their bigger intimidation tactics are, like, humiliation. Or, like, hardcore intimidation of, like, I could hurt you, but how about you just surrender before I do? Yes. Yes. Elise, thank you yet again for joining us. Those stories are incredible. Anytime. (laughs) We always love having you. We will be back after a quick break. Last episode, we discussed queer pirates in a pretty idealistic, utopian way. This episode, we're going to offer a counterpart to that. Our guest today is Nick Marcellus, a PhD student at the University of Pittsburgh. They wrote an article called Swashbuckling Sexuality, The Problem with Queer Pirates, that questions how much we should celebrate pirate sexuality given how it was often centered around rape. So I'll I'll say that I was really enamored with the idea of queer pirates right off the bat, as I think many people are, and finding it a really comfortable home for a lot of queer leftist sentiment coming up. And so looking for historical precedents and being really excited by the work of older scholars, Barry Berg, Hans Turley, who are really aligning pirates' queerness with um, a sort of historical record, a cultural record, uh, and then also with older work in piracy studies that paints uh, pirates as these sort of heroic proletariat figures Uh, these people who are resisting the state and doing their best to buck the norms of the system, as it were. Out of that, I was really, I was really excited about pirates at the beginning, right? I was sort of, oh, these homosocial spaces that um, people are suggesting. So I was really excited about these spaces uh, right off the bat as potential examples of what queer community could look like, what community outside of the bounds of the, the state could look like. That was really exciting right up until that excitement started to shift into a little bit of worry. I, I noticed that some some amount of the scholarship was really not careful with the distinction between rape and consensual, consensual sodomy, which is, I think, par for the course uh, historically and legally in that situation. And so I think ultimately the the issues that were coming up in the article were how do we handle this stuff appropriately? How do we still look at the pirate as this queer figure while acknowledging that a lot of what these earlier scholars were talking about was potentially quite harmful or at least representations of harm um, on these pirate ships? This kind of reminds me a little bit of pederasty. Bringing it back to season one. Exactly. We've always got to bring it back. Uh, Hey, y'all, if you haven't listened to season one, go back and listen. But it reminds me a little bit of this because they talk a lot about pederasty, which obviously is, you know, sex between a man and a younger man, which isn't really consensual by today's definition. Yeah, so I'd say in Hans Turley's Rum, Sodomy, and the Lash, uh, which came out around 2000, I think, maybe a little bit before that, he describes this violent forced prostitution group rape of Blackbeard's wife. 
as a homoerotic exchange. And there is no real acknowledgement of the violence of that situation. It's sort of written off because it is a representation of violence, right? That um, it doesn't feel like the violence needs to be addressed. Right? But if we're looking at these representations as moments of queerness, as moments of homoerotics, then I think it also feels really important to be looking at these representations as violence as well. That's really sort of the question when it comes to piracy, right, is how much of the historical record can be used? How important is it that it is accurate? Um, I think any question about how prevalent uh, violence was or consensual relationships were, um, is it's going to be a really hard question to, to answer because so much of what we know about pirates comes either from legal documents, right, which are ultimately about non-consensual sexuality or framed in such a way that, that it wouldn't recognize consent between men. Or you, you have these very fantastical representations that I think are taken as history, certainly, but even the, the oldest historians we have of piracy are still writing to a literary audience. They're writing to entertain. And I think it's really hard to make any definitive claims. There was a tweet I saw that was like, can we stop depicting rape in TV and film, mm. right? Like the amount that we depict it in like ways of entertainment even, even now is so excessive compared to like, we like also like as, as someone who's a survivor, like you don't want to see that on screen, right? Yeah. Like that is so just it's just traumatizing it is i think the issue also being that oftentimes men are writing television shows and it's like something they insert into a female character's story as the only way they can think about giving them any kind of history of trauma depth or or it's mm -hmm. like they're doing it and they're not even realizing that it is assault in this story or it's not yep. even been acknowledged as assault and look just all the more reasons to have more people of different backgrounds writing the stories that we hear uh, because they can be more interesting stories than rape for women or men. It's important to acknowledge the vast range uh, here, right? So you do have um, men in non-consensual uh, sexual relationships with um, young boys who are their slaves, right? That's really, ter really terrible and something that Barry Berg brings up as an example of the homosocial world, uh, homosexual world uh, aboard pirate ships. And so on the one hand, you could really uh, roundly condemn Berg's work, but at the same time, you have all of these examples of queer matelotage and men marrying men essentially, um, and vowing to be loyal to one another and to always fight in battle with one another and to even to have some amount of life insurance paid into together and uh, to share their wealth in life and then after, right? So it really runs all across the spectrum. I think it puts rape in this uncanny valley where it's understood as something that pirates do, but we all acknowledge it, we all play along, and it's part of the flamboyant character of the pirate, right? You have Johnny Depp showing up at a port saying, I'm here to rape and pillage. You have, until 2018, Disney World's Pirates of the Caribbean ride featured a bride auction where pirates sold unwilling women bound by ropes, right? 2018. 
And and I think that there's just this this idea that the rape and pillage that gets that's very much tied up in the the image of a pirate, right, is in no way connected to just rape. And I think that the in the era of Me Too, right, in the space of thinking about all of these issues of consent really carefully, that scholars who are doing work in queer queer studies. But these are questions worth worth thinking about when it comes to representations of pirates and when thinking about the scholarly work that they're doing and the ways that we're seeing pirates as testing grounds for our own ideas or thoughts about how you can exist outside the state. That Pirates of the Caribbean ride featuring a bride auction was just three years ago, um, which is absolutely wild to me. Um, but I think we also do know that like that is the representation of pirates in pop culture is like they're going to go rape and pillage and plunder and take what they want and not care about. Like, I don't really feel like we see a lot of pirates in pop culture who are like, let me get consent before (laughs) I do these things. Like that is that's not what we see. It makes a lot of sense what Nick is talking about. Absolutely. And just, oh my God, a bride auction. I cannot even. In their article. Nick even questions whether the word queer should be used around pirate sexuality, given how violent it was. Apart from LGBT, right, which are identity markers, queer is identity, but also politics. And to me, queer also has a sort of latent leftist impulse, a sort of drive towards caring for one's community and for one's partners in a specific way. And and I think that there's some really complicated things that happen when we say like, okay, this person, this man is raping another man. Is that queer? Right. Um, and, and I think you have a lot of differences to that question, depending on who you ask. Yeah, I think it is. I think, and I think it reflects um, in a lot of ways the problems that we have right now with, um, with queer culture and leftist culture and this pursuit of purity and validation, right? That I think when we see ourselves in pirates, we don't want, we want to have fun, right? We want to, <laughs> we want a utopia where we're living on an island with all of our queer polycule. That sounds great. And I think to poke at that is to do the work that a lot of activists and organizers are doing in leftist spaces and in queer spaces that are saying it can also happen here, that rape, that assaults, Uh, breaking consent can happen even in these spaces that are oftentimes quite liberatory, right? And that I think that there's a lot of defensiveness that people will feel uh, around that and that that can can lead to slippery thinking and, and a rejection of just how complicated the situation can be. I always think this idea of labeling is very interesting. And I know we had a lot of issues with this in season one with how to identify Sappho because saying like woman who love woman is very wordy and obviously queer is just an all encompassing word. That's a bit of, you know, it's a bit of shorthand to say what we're trying to say, but I think this is a really interesting perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, words in general, even within the community are so loaded, right? There's all kinds of words about our identity that like some people find defensive, some people find that it doesn't actually define what you're actually what you're talking about. Also with Nick talking about the problems in queer pirates also being the the problems of queer 
spaces today, I find very fascinating and also very valid. Like queer assault does happen. And so to look at pirates as this utopia is also juxtaposed with looking at queer society now as this utopia. Like we love being gay and queer. Yes, we do. But that doesn't mean there's not issues with our culture and our like subculture. <laughs> so I think it it's actually a really perfect juxtaposition of the pirate past and our society now. Absolutely. So there was one last concept Nick introduced us to that we found really fascinating. Uh, the idea that the ocean itself is queer. I'm, I'm definitely not the first person to say this. I think it's an extension of one aspect of queer theory, which is to say, oh, is this thing not normal within the bounds of a cultural understanding of normal? Well, then it's queer. And so you have, I think, the ocean as this liminal space that cannot be marked by a map except in the most rudimentary way, that it's much accurate to uh, think about the ocean in terms of currents, but that even those are in constant flux. The way that the ocean is sometimes portrayed as feminine and yet also often really masculinized and really intense and powerful. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting the way that Farley plays with that as well, right? That the ocean teaches the character of Bonnie Reed, Bon in the novel, uh, to, to be a man, essentially. Even when you think about like the words that we use to identify sexuality, like we talk about like sexuality is fluid and like <laughs> moving, like water itself, we use a lot to identify ourselves like as this thing that's constantly moving and changing. So I love that concept. It was the ocean yeah, all along. It was. We were the ocean <laughs> the whole time. I love that interpretation. And yeah, like there's so many things that are out of the norm that we can call queer. And so I love that as an overarching thing for this season of like, let's talk about these out of the norm things that are queer, that are pirates, that are living on this queer ocean. Like just the mermaids are queer, like that let's be real. Like mermaids are canonically gay culture. I think there's a lot, there's a lot about the sea that uh, dolphins are gay, right? Like they have history of same-sex interactions. There are gay dolphins, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So yes. lots of stuff. I love it. Lots here. <laughs> There's lots here. Thank you so much, Nick. I love everything that they've said during this uh, this episode and really appreciate all of their insights. With that, here's a taste of what's to come on Sweet Bitter. It is, yeah. And, you know, there have been studies about transvesticism on ships and in the army and what it was like during that time period. The idea of a woman kind of dressing as a man kind of, you know, it freaked men out. It's almost like they're human beings that contain multitudes and, you know, we're good and bad and, you know, heroes and villains and all of those things that we are in a given day. Thanks for listening to Sweet Bitter. Our next episode will be released on October 14th. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It really helps, especially written reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sweetbitter. Thank you to our new Patreon supporters this week, Joshua, Melanie, and Transfer Productions. We love you. Sweet Bitter is an independent production by me, Ellie Brigida, Elise Nora, and Lisa Charlotte in partnership with Three Springs Media. Our audio engineering is by Samori and Jabari Torre. Our production assistant is Thea Smith, and our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. 
Thank you to Joshua Nelson, who made both this week and last week's shanties sound amazing. Thank you also to our guests this week, Jamie Goodall and Nick Marcellus. You can read more about our guests and where to find them on our website. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SweetBitterPod or contact us on our website, SweetBitterPodcast.com. And now, without further ado, our amazing shanty this week by Elise Knorr with sound by Joshua Nelson. The C is a she and a he and a they. It's lesbian and intersex and bi and nascent gay. It's powerful and beautiful. It's fast and it's proud. And when it gets going, it's so passionate and loud. The C is a she and a he and a they. It's lesbian and intersex and bi and nascent gay. The sea's full of mystery and deep dark depths. The sea is sexy and wild and it's very, very wet. The sea is a she and a he and a they. It's lesbian and intersex and bi and ace and gay. It's masculine and feminine and genderqueer and trans. It's queerer in the ocean than anywhere on land. The sea is a she and a he. Lesbian and intersex and bi and asexual.